The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. It's kind of a challenge uh, to know what to preach on such a significant anniversary or any anniversary. And I found to just talk to you this morning about being fully engaged and the whole topic of my church and being fully engaged. Linda and I, uh, late last year, were on holiday in America and we're in Washington and we drove down to catch up with some friends uh, into Richmond. And uh, we took a bit longer talking to them and we ended up driving back at dusk, going into night. It was heading into autumn. And, uh, and driving back in that part of America, the traffic is unbelievable. And so I'm driving on the wrong side of the road, for, as far as I'm concerned, was the right side, if you know what I mean. And just became incredibly focused, uh, listening to the GPS, uh, listening to Linda correct the GPS, uh, those sorts of, no, she didn't do that, I'm just... <laughs> Uh, doing that sort of thing, and just had to be fully engaged. Seven, eight lanes of traffic merging, aggressive drivers, and all the rest of it. And we need in life, and in the life of a church, to be fully engaged. There's this incredible statement that we find in Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9, where the scripture says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. There is something incredible that happens when we become fully engaged with God. He's looking for people who will be fully committed to him. And when that happens, there's a strength that flows. There's a capacity that flows that isn't there before until that commitment is made in a significant way. The power of a fully committed life. And we need to understand, just without going into a side issue here, that God is fully engaged with us, and he's just waiting for our engagement with him. I want to just pose briefly, and I know most of you will know the answer to this, but why church? Why the idea of the church? And Pastor John already referenced this in some way, where in Matthew 16, a conversation about a revelation of who Jesus is. And he says, now you know who I am. I'm going to reveal to you who you are and what my purpose is. And out of the message, he says to Peter, you're the rock. You're a, you're a person I'm going to build stuff on and with. And he says, this rock on which I will put my church together, a church, listen to these words, so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. A church so expansive with energy. In Ephesians 1 verse 22, 23, it's talking about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and that he is in charge of it all and has the final word on everything. At the center of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. And then listen to this statement. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. And you heard a little bit of that, that acknowledgement even from the mayor this morning of the church speaking and acting and touching lives in the local community. And it's just a snapshot of a little of what this church does. But that's why 
God birthed the church of Jesus Christ. And for it to be all that it needs to be, we need to be fully engaged because he strengthens those who are fully committed to him. The church is built by people for people in the heart and the mind of God. In America, in a Gallup poll, they did, uh, they surveyed thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians. And they came up with 10 things that, that really makes church, church. And out of that came five significant fruits, if you, can, if you like, of what it meant for people to, that flowed out of an engaged life. And it was an amazing thing to see just what it was. I'm going to touch on those five things just briefly this morning. And I think there'll be a diagram up there that just shows it. You need to get that view of really quickly, seriously. It's on that side, yeah. So where there's engagement, fully committed, and there's a spiritual commitment, there are four key things that come out of it. Life satisfaction, serving, inviting, and giving. And what they found, that people who were doing those things were most satisfied about their own lives, had the greatest contentment, had a great attitude towards life. So this fully engaged, this fully committed thing transform their lives. And at the heart of it is an individual decision where we just take responsibility for our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity and the consequences or the the significance of that. Peter says, as a newborn babe, you need to desire or crave spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Just listen to that. You may grow up in your salvation. And it's all very well for parents to care for a child, to do the most basic things, feeding, changing nappies. But I am so thankful that I no longer have that responsibility with Mark and Deborah, and I'm sure they are as well. It would be weird. It would just be weird if we still had to change little Marky's nappy, you know? Just totally weird. But what happens, there comes a point, and it's part of childhood, where the child begins to take responsibility. That's what maturity is actually about. You taking responsibility for what previously others did for you. That's what growing up is all about. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. But let us instead become mature in our understanding. So let's just look at those four things that come out of a fully committed life that we put up on the screen out of the Gallup poll. The first thing is learning to practice contentment. To practice contentment. And I want to ask you, are you satisfied with your life? And the amazing thing is Australians are rated as having amongst the highest quality of life in the world. The the terms of medical support, all sorts of things that just make life good. But they are amongst the most dissatisfied people on the planet. They're always having a whinge about something. And part of it is because we've got to learn that growing up is practicing contentment. Paul says in Philippians... Chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. 
I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. And then comes a verse we love to quote out of a context, and it has application in all sorts of ways. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. But the context of I can do everything is I have learned to be content. And thanksgiving is one of the ways that we learn and express contentment, appreciation, valuing of others, but most of all, valuing God. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The second thing that brings us greater contentment and engagement is serving God and people. And that simple statement, I volunteer, I serve, is life-changing. We often view, oh, they need more people to serve. No, you need to understand, the best thing you could ever do is serve. It's a biblical principle, it's a concept. It's not that, are they desperate in that area or in that area? No, you gain far more by serving than the church does. And I'm not diminishing the significance of everybody who serves in some way or other, but it's part of your spiritual growth. It's about Growing up, when you say, I volunteer, I serve, I'll get engaged, what can I do to help? Serving engages us both with God and people. And I love the testimony that you heard from the Lord Mayor this morning. Listen to Jesus. Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. Listen just to this phrase. But to serve... And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to have people running around after me. I came to serve and to give. If he did it, shouldn't we do it? Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. There's so much in that verse, but just think of it. He says, every single day, your flesh will be given opportunities. But that same opportunity can be used by the Spirit to serve others. You can either serve yourself, or you can use the opportunity to serve somebody else. The third thing, and I'm just moving through to a a, a concluding point here that is the key thought the issue of generosity, of joyous generosity. It's an amazing thing in terms of Bible statistics. The word believe is used 272 times in the Bible. The word pray, 371 times. The word love, 714 times. The word give, 2,161 times. We're not diminishing all the other things, the praying, the believing, the faith, and all of that. But there's something within the heart of God that says, if you want to lead a full, engaged life, you've got to learn to be a giver. And it's not just financial aspects. It's the giving of your life, the giving of yourself, the giving of encouragement, the giving of forgiveness. When I was a little kid, we didn't have a motor vehicle, but my grandfather did. And he used to take my mum uh, once a month to do the shopping at a, you know, main things, not just everyday items, but the main things. And it was always a treat for us to go along. And I remember going with him, and my youngest sister, Heather, 
uh, who lives in the UK, and I'm thankful for that because you can't get me for this. But uh, my youngest sister uh, was with us, and granddad always bought us a small treat. And she wanted peanuts that day. And I can remember this incident as clear as it was yesterday, driving back in the car. He'd given her this bag of peanuts, and she wasn't going to share it with anybody. So he said to her, Heather, could I have a peanut? So she pulled one peanut out and gave it to him. He then said to her, I think I only got half a peanut. And she searched through the whole bag until she found a half a peanut and gave that to him. Now, there's a lot of things about that transaction that she just didn't understand. Number one, she didn't really appreciate who'd bought the peanuts. It wasn't her. It wasn't her money. It wasn't her effort. It wasn't her earnings. Secondly, she totally underestimated his strength. If he wanted to, he could have grabbed the whole packet of peanuts off her. And the third thing was she, he, she didn't realize that he could have gone back to the peanut counter and bought just about every peanut in the store. And my point is simply, sometimes we treat God that way when it comes to generosity. I'll give you half a peanut. And we don't realize that he's the source of all the peanuts. We don't realize that he's strong enough to take all our peanuts off us. And that he owns all the peanuts in the world anyway. You get the point. I'm not just talking about peanuts. It's really important that we understand it. And Paul is saying, you've got to do more than just your tithing. Tithing is the beginning of learning to put your trust in God. But listen to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 to 8. But since you excel in everything, and church, I want to tell you, you do excel in a lot of things. And Paul's writing to a church like this. And he says, you excel in so many things, in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love you have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Not the obligation, not the duty, not the command of tithing, but the grace of giving. And please don't reduce this simply to a monetary value. That is a part of it. Without any doubt and unashamedly, I'll tell you that. But it's about a giving life. A life that invests in others. And Paul says, I'm not commanding you because your attitude in this is so, so important. You don't give grudgingly and with obligation. Your attitude is important. And so I've talked about if you want a contented, fully engaged life, that number one, you need to practice contentment. Number two, you need to serve God and people. Number three, you've got to experience joyous generosity. And number four, you've got to learn to invite a friend. Invite a friend. I, I want to just say to you that the truth is you are here today because somebody invited you to church or to Jesus. Gone very quiet in here. It's the only reason I was, I'm in the church. Somebody invited me. So my sister persistently nagged me until I gave up and I was so thankful that I did. You see, what we need to understand is, and I actually preached a whole message on this and I'm not gonna get too sidetracked in this. God hates empty chairs. It's not just pastors who hate empty chairs. God hates empty chairs. And he speaks about it. In Luke 14, verse 22, a banquet is set. Invitations are extended. Not everybody turns up. 
And the servants know how much the master hates empty chairs. And listen to what he says. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. There's still some empty chairs. And then the master told the servant, go out into the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. We need to understand that God hates empty chairs. The servants understood that. He said, we've been everywhere. He says, well, go again, because I want my house to be full. And there's a whole big concept attached to this. But listen to the statement from Frederick Louis Godet, a Swiss theologian, who said, the love of God is great. It requires a multitude of guests. It will not have a seat empty. The love of God is great. It requires a multitude of guests. But you know what ties these four qualities that make life as a Christian worth living, that bring greater joy and value to life? Do you know what ties it together? Is a spiritual commitment. And as you go into the next 30 years, I'm not questioning your commitment. I'm just, number one, reminding you, you need to keep it up. It's not time to go, oh, we've done 30 years, let's just kick back. Because I want to just conclude with these few thoughts. A spiritual commitment is what anchors everything. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7 says, I have become a servant of this gospel. There's good news about Jesus Christ. The word is a bond slave. I'm tied to this thing. I can't give it up. And that's the spiritual commitment. That's what God's looking for when he says, I will be strong towards those who are fully committed to me. We love what God loves. We're committed to what God's committed to. Paul says, I've become a servant of this gospel. This is last week in preparing for our Young Adults Conference. I came across a story and I've researched and clarified it as much as I can. But in 1870, Reverend Peter Milne set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, now known as Vanuatu. He was known as what was called back in those days, one-way missionaries. And what these one-way missionaries did was not pack their belongings into suitcases or trucks, but into coffins, because they weren't coming home. They were going to a land to preach the good news, and they knew they would die there. They packed their stuff in coffins. They were called one-way missionaries. And he was going to a particular island in the chain of islands around Vanuatu where the three or four previous missionaries had been killed and eaten by headhunters. And he thought that was be his fate, but he'd go anyway. And he was attacked, but somehow other his personality charmed the chief. And the chief listened to the gospel, and he continued to minister there for 55 years. Buried a son who was killed there, his wife, other things like that. But for 55 years of fruitfulness. And when he died, there was such a transformation not just in that island, but in the regions around, that the locals put on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. That is the call of the church of Jesus Christ. That is the call for fully committed people who the Lord will strengthen I'm going to hand over to Pastor John in just one moment. 
Paul says, I have become a servant of this gospel. In Acts, speaking to the elders of Ephesus, Acts 20 verse 22, he uses this phrase, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Listen to that phrase, compelled by the Spirit. One of the early church fathers writing on this says literally, by the impulse of the Holy Spirit, I go bound. This idea, I'm chained to the will, to the purpose of God, the Holy Spirit, as he breathed his life in and through the church of Jesus Christ. As the gospel is proclaimed, I go bound by the Holy Spirit. I love the way the Message Bible puts it. It's my last verse, my last statement. And I kind of felt it's almost like a prophetic word of encouragement to this great church. Romans 8 verse 14. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. But it'll only happen with people who are fully engaged, committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. God bless you, church. Thank you, Pastor. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 